0: Micah chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Micah chapter 6, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. He says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with His people, and He will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord." Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy? and walk humbly with thy God. In this passage here, in verses 1 through 8, there are really, really, if you could say, there's four um, or really three conversations or three people involved in this conversation here. There is God, there is Israel, and then there's Micah. And uh, as we begin here, there's uh, several things that are taking place. Of course, last week we saw how uh, at the end of chapter 5, the the Lord is trying to prepare Israel for His coming. Uh, and in order to prepare them for His coming, there was going to be a purging from within. Uh, he was going to purge out the sin that had pervaded in Israel. And He talks about that in, in the previous verses there in chapter 5. But the, He also then talks about the punishment of of those without Israel, the, the nations around. He talks about the judgment uh, that is going to be there. And so he's trying to prepare Israel for his coming. And we saw last week how important it is for you and I as believers to be prepared, to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we need to make sure that we are uh, clean before him. Uh, we need to allow God to, to clean us, right? Uh, to show us where we need to be corrected, uh, what needs to be removed. Um, and then, of course, we also understand uh, when the Lord comes and takes us home, there's also going to be the judgment of the nations as well. And so there's a correlation here between what God is trying to do with Israel and, of course, uh, you and I today. But then he comes to chapter six, and he says, "Hear ye now what the Lord saith." So Micah is is kind of speaking; he's telling Israel to listen up because God is speaking now, right? He's telling them this is God, right? Um, and he says, "Arise, contend thou before the mountains." So this is God; this is the voice of the Lord saying this. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. You know, there's a a saying that if we do not learn from the past, we will make the same mistakes. Right? If we don't learn from our past, we'll make the same mistakes. In fact, there was a man by the name of George uh, Santayana that said this, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Right. If we don't remember our past, then we're not going to uh, learn from those past mistakes that were made. We're not going to even learn from the right choices that were made. Right. And so tonight in this passage, we we must remember not to forget, because let's face it, sometimes it's easy to forget what God has done. We we just kind of have a natural tendance, tendency to forget how good God has been to us, right? And this is what God is is telling Israel. I'm trying to remind you not to forget, right? Remember not to forget. And God is trying to remind Israel of what he has done for them in the past so that they will not make the same mistakes of the past. So just as a... A, a lawyer in a courtroom pleads his case before the jury. So the Lord is doing this. And this is what he says, hear ye now what the Lord saith. It's like he's in a courtroom and he's about to, uh, to give his case. And he says, arise, contend thou before the mountains and let the hills hear thy voice. And so uh, who is the jury? This is really interesting because God is speaking. And, and he says, here's, I'm going to give my case. And, and here's the jury, right? The mountains, the hills, right? Creation is the jury. Why? Because the mountains and the hills have, have always been there. They're, they're there. And he says, hey, I want you to, to listen to what I'm saying, because even the, the creation itself will testify of what God has done. He will testify of the goodness of God. And so, He's he's calling them to remembrance. And again, it is the mountains and hills. It is creation. And it's interesting how if we hold our place here and go to the book of Psalms, in Psalms 106, in Psalms 106, now, of course, this is a Psalm of David, right? In Psalms 106, in Psalms 106, This psalm is about this very case that God is pleading to Israel, trying to encourage them to remember not to forget, right? And again, we don't have time to read the whole chapter here. It's 48 verses. But there are some things that I want to call out uh, just as we briefly look at this passage to understand kind of, again, what is happening here in Micah, right? So notice as we go through here, he begins, praise ye the Lord, right? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, right? So that's where he's starting. He said, hey, I want you to know the the most important thing that you and I can do as God's children is to praise him, to praise the Lord, because, and this is what he says, for he is good, we, we can praise Him, we can thank Him, for He is good, God says. Now, again, it, it's so easy for us to forget the goodness of God, right? Because we can look back and say, well, I've had problems here, and I've had financial difficulties, maybe I've had health difficulties, or I've had family problems, or I've had job problems, and, and all these different things, and what do you mean that God is good? How, how can you say that, that truly God is good? Well, can I ask you, are you alive today, Can we not say that God is good? You say, well, I don't have the best of health, but thank God you're not in a hospital tonight. Or better yet, thank God you're not in the morgue, right? I mean, we can look back and we can say, yeah, maybe there's problems, but we can see how God has brought us through many of those different things. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He says, hey, we can give thanks and we can praise for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then he begins to go through this. And again, we don't have time to go through, but I want you to notice the recurring theme in this chapter as well again talking about israel he's he's trying to call israel to remembrance but watch verse number seven our fathers understood not thy wonders in egypt they remembered not the multitude of thy mercies but provoked him at the sea even at the red sea so he's he's calling them to remember he said hey remember when god brought us out of egypt Remember how God delivered us and and God brought the 10 plagues, right? He says, you remember that? And and not only did we get to leave, but he says that that, that basically the Egyptians, they, they gave us their gold and they gave us their silver and they gave us all kinds of things to get out. So we didn't just leave poor, we left wealthy. He said, do you remember that? But then what happened? We got to the Red Sea and we saw the... Army behind us, and what happened? We forgot what God had just done. We forgot that God had just brought those ten plagues on Egypt. We forgot that we, had, we came out with a, with a great host and, and wealthy. He says, we forgot that. And as soon as we got to the Red Sea and, and we couldn't see a way through and, and the army is behind us, we just totally forgot what God had done. We did not remember what God had done. Look what he says down in verse number 13 again. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Now again, what ha- what, And again, we don't have time to read through this, but if you'll, if you'll go between these verses, you'll see that every time that they, it says they forgot, God reminds them, right? They forgot about what God did. Then what God do? He opened up the Red Sea and brought them through right? And then God fed them with man in the wilderness and, and, and God provided for them. And then what does it say? They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. So again, man, God did something for them and then they forgot it when a problem came. He continues, right? Look down to verse number 21. They forgot God, their savior, which had done great things in Egypt. So again, after that, God reminded them of some things, and he provided for them, and he brought them food, and he brought them water. And as soon as another problem comes up, what happened? They forgot God again. Do you understand? That's that's how, if I could use the word, that's how fickle we are, right? I mean, God did some amazing things for Israel, and as soon as a problem came up, they just forgot all that God had done. And can I say, that's kind of the way we are too. Listen, the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life and in my life is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. To know that we have a home in heaven. To know that that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. And what happens? Man, we get saved and, and things are going well. And all of a sudden troubles come and difficulties come. And we're like, oh man, God just must not be able to do anything. And we forget what God has done. We forget how good God has been. Look, God didn't have to save you. God didn't have to send His Son to die on the cross. He chose to do that because of His love for us. And we see the goodness of God over and over and over, and we just forget. He continues to verse number 24. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not His word. Compare that to verse number 43. What does He say? Many times did He deliver them. But they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their integrity. He says many times God delivered them. And he speaks about that here. He delivered and he delivered and he delivered and he delivered. And and yet, what does he say? They kept provoking him. They kept complaining. They kept saying, God, you don't care about us. They kept forgetting about the goodness of God. But watch what he says. Nevertheless, verse 44, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Isn't that amazing? Because let's be honest, if that was us and we did all the things that God had done and somebody kept complaining to us about all these things and all these things and all these things, guess what we would do? We'd just be like, you know what? Forget you. If you're not going to remember all the good things that I've done for you, if you're not going to remember how I've provided for you and this, and you're going to complain about every little thing, I'm done with you. I'm just done. That's, what, that's how we would respond. Aren't you glad God doesn't respond that way? Aren't you glad that, again, the Bible talks about what did he say at the beginning of that chapter? He says, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Man, God's mercy is so good. And even though they, they constantly provoked him, he said he regarded their afflictions when he heard their cry. So go back with me to Micah. Because this is what's happening, right? God is saying, hey... Here's, here's my case against Israel, right? Here's my case against them, okay? Um, I guess I should get there, right? He says in verse number three, and he asked two questions. Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? He asked him, what have I done to you? Really, I mean, what have I done to you? I delivered you. I've provided for you. I've protected you. I've done all these things. What do you, what have I done to you that you can complain about? And he asks another question, wherein have I wearied thee? He said, how have I wearied you? How have I become a burden to you? And again, he's, he's asking these questions. He's, he's presenting his case, right? And then notice what he says. Again, I, I sometimes I, I really believe that God does have a sense of humor because notice the next three words, testify against me. God says, go ahead, try it. See, go ahead. Answer these questions. Is there anything that I have done to hurt you? No, I've provided for you. I've delivered you. And all the times that you provoked me and you wouldn't obey, I still was there for you. He said, what have I done? Wherein have I wearied thee? How have I wearied thee? I have, I have blessed you. I have, I have provided for you. God asks, he's at these wearied his people. He says, testify against me. And then he Again, he's presenting his case. He says, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. right?" So he's reminding them of their past. He's saying, remember your past. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. So God's saying, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I was the one that that delivered you out of that bondage that you were in. Remember, he said, Remember, you were there for 400 years. Remember, you were crying out for God for deliverance. You were crying out for a redeemer. You were crying out for somebody to deliver you. And he said, I heard you and I delivered you. Again, notice it's very important. He says, I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He said, You didn't do it, I did it. I delivered you, I redeemed thee out of the house of servants. I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He says, I'm the one that put the leaders there. I'm the one that put Moses there and and Aaron and Miriam. They were the ones that helping leading Israel. He said, I put them there. Did they deserve it? Did they deserve to be delivered? Did they deserve to be brought out of Egypt? No. But God's saying, I did these things for you. He says, oh, my people, in verse number five, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. He says, don't you remember what Balaam did? Don't you remember Balak and Balaam? In fact, if you go back and you read the account in Numbers, I think it's Numbers chapter 22 through uh, 24, I think it is. Balak, the king of, of Moab, comes to Balaam and he says, Balaam, I want you to curse Israel. And so Balaam goes with Balak and he goes up into a mountain and he sees the the children of Israel here. And he says, all right, I'll I'll do whatever God says. And so he goes and he prays and says, God, uh, should I curse these people? And God says, do not curse them. They are my chosen people. And Balaam says to Balak, hey, uh, sorry, can't curse him. Well, that didn't satisfy Balak. And so as the children of Israel continue moving on, they come to another place and and Balak again says, hey, I'm going to hire you to curse them. Man, I'll give you anything you want. You name your price, I'll give it to you. Whatever your price is, you name it, I'll give it to you. Just curse them. Balaam again, he goes before God. God says, do not curse them. He comes back to Balak and he says, I'm sorry, I can't curse them. Again, Israel is moving and Balak comes and he says, Balaam, please curse them. He says, I will fill your house with gold and silver. I mean, I will just fill it up. I I am going to give you anything and everything. Let's be honest. I really believe when you look and study this that you'll find that Balaam wanted to curse Israel. He wanted what Balak was offering. He wanted that money. He wanted it for himself. But when he went to God again, God said, do not curse them. And so Balaam again comes to Balak and he says, I'm sorry, I cannot curse them. And God says, and this is, this is what's absolutely fascinating about this, because he says, remember now what Balak king of Moab consulted. Do you understand that God is, is calling them to remember something that at the time that it was happening, they knew nothing about At the time that Balak and Balaam are having this conversation and Balak is saying, Balaam, curse them. Israel is traveling. They are moving. They have no idea that Balak has tried to hire Balaam to curse them. They have no clue what's going on. There is a spiritual battle taking place here and Israel has no idea. No idea about it. Until later when God reveals it to them. You say, what, 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 what is he saying here? He's saying not only did God deliver them physically when he brought them out of Egypt, not only did God deliver them physically and providing for them and redeeming them, and, and not only did God provide for them as giving them those, the, the, the leaders that they had to, to lead them out, but he said God was also working Spiritually. I wonder how many times that God has worked on our behalf and we have no idea what God has done. No clue at all. You know, I believe there's going to be things that we will never know that God has done until maybe we get to heaven and God says, Hey, by the way, when you thought I didn't care about you, I was keeping this from happening to you. And when you thought that I didn't care about you, I stopped this from happening to you. And when you didn't think that I cared about you, I was in the background working the whole time. He said, hey, remember not to forget. Hey, just because you cannot see what God is doing does not mean that God isn't doing anything. They did not see what God was doing with Balaam and Balak, but God was working. He said, Balaam, do not curse them. Do not curse them. Three times he goes to God and God says, do not curse them. And Israel has no clue what's going on. And we want to complain to God. Poor me. God, you don't care about me. You don't know the problems I'm going through. You don't know the difficulties I'm facing. You don't know the financial hardships I'm going through. You don't know the physical things. You don't know all these things. And God says, hey, would you just remember what I have done? Remember what I have done for you. And by the way, he says, remember, there's a lot of things you don't even know that I've done for you. He says, go ahead, testify against me. Go ahead. Try to say that God does not care about you. We can't. I mean, one verse shuts us all up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One verse shuts us up to say that God does not care about us. And here's what we think. Well, that was, just, that was just for salvation. That was just for my eternal destiny. If God cares about you for your eternal destiny, don't you think God cares about what's happening to you today? Don't you think what God cares about your family today and what you're going through today and tomorrow and this week and and next week and next month and next year, don't you think God cares about it? Remember, don't forget... Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget that there are going to be things that you and I will never know. Just like what he says. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 23.5. As, as God reveals this to them. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam. But the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. He said, you, know, you, you don't even know what happened. But God says, hey, I want you to know that that curse that was supposed to be there, instead of a curse, I turned it into a blessing. And it wasn't because you deserved it. It wasn't because you had done anything to be like, oh, wow, I'm just so proud of you. I, I'm just so proud of you. You've done such a great job. I think I'm going to bless you. No, they were just wandering in the wilderness. They were just following Moses. And this spiritual battle back here is taking place. And God is saying, hey, there's this battle. This guy's wanting to curse you. But I'm going to take the curse that he has for you. And I'm going to turn it into a blessing for you. Remember, he says, do not forget. Now, (laughs) this is where it gets interesting. Because he just said, oh, my people, remember these things, right? I brought you up. I redeemed you. I set Moses and Aaron and Miriam before you. I was the one that turned the blessing or the curse into a blessing with Balaam. So here's God presenting his case, right? In verse six, we change uh, we change uh, the person that's speaking now. In verse number six, no longer is God saying, no longer is God speaking. Now it's Israel speaking. So here is Israel, right? God has said, hey. Go ahead, testify against me. What have I done against you? And and watch how Israel responds. Israel responds with a attitude of, who do you think you are? Watch what he says. Watch what Israel says. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So now Israel takes up their case, right? God has laid out his case, and now here comes Israel. And this is how Israel responds, right? Now, how should Israel have come before God? When God presents his case to them and says, hey, you have forgotten and you have turned away from me. And again, we just saw all the sins that God said needed to be purged back in chapter 5. And he's shown all these different things. And how should Israel have responded? They should have responded in repentance. They should have said, God, you are absolutely right. We have sinned. God, you are right. You are so good to us. We don't deserve this. But here's how Israel responds. Well, what can we do to make it right? What can we do to make it right? Not, God, you're right. All right, if that's the accusations, all right, what can we do to make it right? And, and watch, watch what they said. Should we offer burnt offerings? Is that, is that going to make it right? Should we offer burnt offerings? When he says, in, uh, He says, wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before that? Shall I come with... Uh, before him with burnt offerings with calves of a year old so he says should i bring a few cows and offer those before god so it, it's it's really interesting here when you think about it it's almost like israel is trying to bargain with god they're trying to bargain with god all right god what's going to make you happy right they're trying to figure out what is going to make god happy all right what if we offer a few cows is that going to make you happy no okay how about 1,000 rams? So they went from a few cows to 1,000. How about 1,000 rams? Is that going to make you happy? Not 1,000 rams? Well, how about 10,000 rivers of oil? The price is getting bigger, right? You, see, you notice that? They're going from a few cows to 1,000 rams to 10,000 rivers of oil. And then, again, the gall of Israel. Should we offer our firstborn? Is that what's going to make you happy? Should we just sacrifice our firstborn to you, God? There is no repentance here. There is is no admission that, God, you are right, and you are holy, and you are righteous, and, God, we have messed up. It's all about, what can I do to fix the problem? Again, is that not how we respond? God, you don't care about me. God, you've let me into these problems. God, all these things. All right, what can I do to fix the problem? What am I going to do? Am I going to get a better job? Am I going to figure out this? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And we try to fix the problem. And this is what Israel is doing. They're bargaining with God how to fix the problem. They're trying to, if we could say, they're trying to pay for their own sin. What's going to make it right? What can we do to make it right? Isn't that how a lot of religion is today? What can we do to make it right with God? What am I supposed to do? Give? Do I give in the offering? Is, that what's, is God, is that going to please you? Oh, go to church? Is that what's going to please you? Keep the Ten Commandments? Is that what's going to please you? You know, what, what, am I gonna, what do I have to do to please you, God? And, and it's, not a, an, an, it's not an attitude of humility coming before God. It is a prideful attitude of saying, God, I don't know who you think you are, but I can figure this out on my own. I really don't need you. And this was Israel. What do you want, God? You want, you want a few calves? You want us to offer us the sacrifice a few calves? How about 1,000 you know, rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, our firstborn? Oh, go ahead. What, what do you want, God? And the pride that Israel has. They're trying to make themselves right before God, never even admitting their sin. And by the way, was this not what the Jews tried to do in Jesus' day? If you go back with me to the book of John, chapter 6, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Notice in verse number 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Go ahead, tell us, what should we do? Tell us, what, what are we supposed to do, right? Because again, they, they are just. Um, Jesus has told them right there in verse number 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth under everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So he's just said in verse number 27, God will give you eternal life. They said, all right, what do we have to do? You missed it. God said he wants to give it. If you're giving something, you don't have to do anything for it. It's, it's a gift. That's why the Bible calls it the gift of God is eternal life. And so notice how Jesus responds in verse number 29. This is the work of God. You want to know what you have to do? Believe. Believe on him whom he hath sent. Well, well, that's not a, that's not a work. Exactly. He said, it's not at work. There's nothing you can do. It's not about what you and I can do. It's what he has already done. Are we willing to accept what he has done? Or are we just going to keep trying to do it ourselves? And so he's telling them, remember not to forget. And it's so easy for us to do this. So go back with me to Micah really quick as we finish up here. So Micah tells the people what God wants. So here's Micah speaking now, right? God speaking Israel speaking, now Micah speaks. He says, let me tell you what God wants. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Here it is. You want to know what God wants? Here it is. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, that doesn't sound like a sacrifice. That doesn't sound like there's any animals involved, right? Right? There's no rams, there's no no calves, there's there's no rivers of oil, there's no bullocks, there's no turtle doves, there's no sacrifice involved here, right? Because it's not something that you can do. And this is what he says, but to do justly. Now think about this, how can we do justly if we have never been justified? If you and I have never been justified, then it's going to be very difficult for us to do justly. Because to be just, to, be, to do justly means we're doing what is right. We're doing what is pleasing to God. We, do we understand that a lost person cannot do what is right? A lost person cannot please God because everything they do is in the flesh. They're not a child of God, so they cannot please God. And so God says, look, here's what you want. Do justly. In order to do that, you have to be made justified. And the only one who can justify you is God. God's the only one who can justify you. And when we are able to be justified, when we are justified by faith, then we are able to do justly. Then we can do what is right. We can live a life that is pleasing to God. He says, do justly, love mercy. Now again, if we, if we go back, you can, you can remember as we're going through the book of Micah, these were all things that Israel had just put away. They, they were being, they, they were, there was no justice. Again, his accusation, when you go back through the book of Micah, even those in, in power were being unjust. They, they, were, they were persecuting the poor. They were stealing. They were robbing. They were just out for themselves. There was no justice. And God is saying, look, if you really want to know how to please God, you have to do justly. And the only way you can do that is to know God. And then he says to love mercy. <laughs> Can I tell you there was no mercy in Israel? There was no mercy in Israel. Again, think about they were selling their own people as slaves. They were taking their own children. And when they when they said that in that previous verse, should we offer our firstborn? They had literally taken their own children and offered them as child sacrifices. Where's the mercy? There's no mercy in Israel. And these are supposed to be God's chosen people. You see, how can we love mercy if we've never experienced God's mercy? It's only when we experience God's mercy and understand that we did not receive what we deserve. You and I, as as Christians, we deserve to die and spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's what we deserve because we're sinners. But when God offered his son in our place, and we by faith accepted what Jesus Christ had done, God showed us mercy, and he did not give us what we deserved. Instead, he gave us grace, and he gave us what we did not deserve. Man, he gives us eternal life. He gives us a home in heaven with him for eternity, and we don't receive what we did deserve. But again, how can we truly show mercy unless we have experienced the mercy of God himself? That's why God expects even his own children, those who are Christians, to be merciful, to show mercy. Why? Because we of all people have experienced mercy. We have not received what we justly deserve. We have received what we do not deserve. And he says, you and I as his children should be the very ones loving mercy and showing mercy to those. Hey, did they deserve it? No, and neither did we. We didn't deserve it, but we ought to show mercy. He says to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Again, I think he's kind of playing on a little bit of words here because in their response, there is no humility. It's pride. And he says to walk humbly with thy God what had Israel done they had turned away from God and they had turned to Asherah they had turned to Molech they had turned to Baal they had turned to all these false gods of the the people around them and God saying hey I just want you to know none of those delivered you from e- from Egypt None of those redeemed you when you were in bondage. None of those opened up the Red Sea for you. None of those turned the cursing of Balak and Balaam into a blessing. None of those were the ones that provided manna for you in the wilderness for 40 years. None of those were the ones that opened up the water when you were thirsty and the water came out of that rock and fed millions of people and all your cattle. None of those gods were the ones that defeated the enemies. Hey, he says, I'm telling you, walk humbly with thy God. The true God, not in pride, but in humility, we are to bow before Him in humility. And again, I think there's a little play on words here because what did they say? Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? We really going to bow ourselves before the high God? He says, "Look, if you want to know what I want, He says you need to do justly, love mercy." And walk humbly with thy God. We are so full of pride. We are. That's why we don't remember what God has done. Because we're so full of pride, we think, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I don't need to follow God. Oh, yeah, I I know what God says. I know God says to, to do justly, but I just don't think I need to. Oh, I know God says to love mercy, but I don't think I need to show mercy. That guy treats me this way, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to him. Why? Because of pride. We think we're better than what we really are. Are we walking humbly with our God? Or are we just saying, God, I don't need you, I'll take care of this on my own. Wait a minute, no, no, that's not what he says. He says, Israel, you want to know what I want? This is what I want. To do justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly. Why? Because then when the world sees that in you, guess what they see? They see me. Because that's not normal. It's not normal to to do justly. You know what's normal? Think for myself. Fend for myself. It's all about me. It's not normal to love mercy. You know what we want? Revenge. We want to get even. We want to make sure they know how we feel. Can I be honest with you? Who cares how you feel? Why do we have to tell them how we feel? You know why? Because of me. They better know how I feel about this. Who cares? Is that really something important to God? Well, you know, that's what he says. Do justly. Love, mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Remember, he says, not to forget who God is. Why? For he is a good God, and his mercy endureth forever. And therefore, we can praise him, and we can thank him. And even when difficulties come, you know what we ought to do? We ought to remember how good he's been. And know that, hey, no matter what this difficulty is, I may not know how I'm going to get through it. I may not understand what's going to happen, but I know God is good. And I may not even see what's going on, but I know that He's in control. And so I'm going to remember not to forget how good God has been. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. No one looking about tonight. Maybe this evening... Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe tonight you're guilty of, like Israel, thinking we don't need God. We've forgotten how good God has been to us. And God is saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do justly, I want you to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Remember not to forget. Don't ever forget how good God has been. By the way, don't ever forget all the trouble and the trials and difficulties we got into when we didn't think we needed Him. And how much better it would have been if we would have just trusted Him through it all. Don't forget the goodness of God. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with Thy God. Father, I pray You'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, sometimes we are so full of self that we almost don't even realize that we have pushed you away. We don't even realize that we're not doing what you would want us to do. We get so full of pride, just like Israel. Look at what I have done. What should I do? Offer these things? Go to church? Give more? No, you simply want us to do what you've told us to do. To do justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Lord, would you help us in these things that as we do them, that those around us and the world might see you living through us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano's just going to play softly tonight. No, there's no need to stand. You can remain sitting. Maybe tonight God has spoken to your heart about something. Maybe, maybe it's been some pride that's been building up in your life. So like, you know, I just don't think I need God. And I encourage you, don't forget. Don't forget how good God has been. You and I don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve the blessings of God. And yet God takes the curse and turns it into a blessing. Maybe tonight we just need to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for being filled with pride. Forgive me for pushing you away and saying, God, I don't need you. Forgive me for forgetting how good you have been. Israel wouldn't even acknowledge their sin, it wasn't their fault. God bless you. Um, I'm going to ask Brother Joel if he'll come tonight and.